0: You might find yourself struggling with generational sin, which we're going to see on display today in our story. And um, I don't want to take it lightly, because I think a lot of us, we grow up with the culture and the system that we find ourselves in when we're born into a family, and we either pick up or we fight those things as we get older. And a lot of times, the way that we process those things and deal with those things, it makes a difference whether we are healthy adults or not. And And so... As you think about your own family this week, um, where are places where you would like to break a cycle of generational sin and not see that continue on with your children and your grandchildren and the next generations that come? Where could you find a way to serve God in a place where you haven't seen it done before? And maybe you grew up in a great family that really honored God and showed you the way. There's still imperfections and things that we need to be paying attention to and not let uh, sneak into the lives of the families that we're trying to create. And today, that's where we're going to be, uh, that this story here where Jacob having two wives and now starting to have children leads to this situation of envy between everyone in this family. Um, and envy is one of those things that I think a lot of us, we think maybe like, uh, I'm not real envious. Like it's not really a problem uh, for me, you know, and envy is one of those things that it's it's like this lie that you aren't enough or that others shouldn't have something because you can't have it and that you, you begin to be envious of them. And I love in Proverbs what it says, Proverbs 14:30. It says a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Envy is something that rots us from the inside out. And it's something that rots the, the relationships that we have. It rots our 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 ability to be healthy as adults. And it's something that uh, is a major problem that if we don't deal with, will eventually see itself into really unhealthy behavior in our lives. And if you think you're not envious, then I would say scroll down your Facebook feed. Uh, take a look at what's going on there and ask yourself a few questions. Uh, as you scroll down your Facebook feed, if, are there people in there that you're friends with that you just hate their perfect little posts? Like, Okay, great, we got it. You had the best vacation that anyone's ever had, and I haven't been on a vacation in like five years except for to go visit relatives in Iowa, which no one wants to go to. <laughs> or, yeah, your kids are perfect and mine are nuts. Or, yeah, you just got a brand new home. woo good for you. And I look around and mine is trashed because my children just destroy everything. That's getting a little personal. Um, <laughs> Do you have people on your Facebook feed that you secretly find joy when they're struggling? Or you are secretly uh, angry when they are successful? Um, I would invite you to go through your feed this week. And if there are people that you find yourself struggling to have joy when they are joyful and to be angry when they are angry and to be in the same place that they're in, then maybe mute them. Maybe maybe just turn them off in your feed. Maybe just get rid of the ability to be envious of someone else because it's so in our face today, this problem is so in our face that it can be very kind of casually find its way into uh, everything that we do. And honestly, it's a problem not just for us, but for teenagers and for children. It's essentially something that everyone deals with in some way. And so Take a look through your feed and get rid of some stuff in there that causes you to be envious. So I'm going to pick the story up here in Genesis chapter 29, verses 31 through 34. And we are picking it up where uh, now they are, uh, Jacob's now married to both women and they're starting a life and they're starting to have children. And this is kind of where they pick the story up. So it says, when the Lord saw that Leah, right? So Leah is the unfortunate person named after, her name literally means sorrow, which is not a great way to begin life. It's to basically have everyone calling you sorrow for your entire life. Um, And also, in another common language of the day, it meant wild cow. (laughs) It's not going great for Leah. She grows up as the unpretty sister. She grows up as the unwanted one. And her father essentially unloads her by tricking Jacob into taking her as his wife, and so you have to put yourself in her position. She doesn't feel wanted or loved, and she never has her entire life, and she's always been jealous of her sister, and her beauty, and the attention that she gets, and always felt like the one that was left out, and always felt like the one that was overlooked, right? So when it says, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, I mean, that's just, that's just, that shouldn't be the basis of a marriage. There shouldn't be somebody in a marriage who feels unloved. This is why this is so toxic, why the situation is so toxic. It says God, he enabled her to conceive. right? So even when you feel like you are the outcast, the one that's not loved, the one that is overlooked in your family, God doesn't, doesn't miss you. You're not lost in that situation. God is paying attention. God is listening. God is the one who loves you. God is the one who can make things Go in your direction. He says, but Rachel remained childless. So the one that Jacob loves remained childless. And the one that the Lord saw was not loved. He enabled her to conceive. And Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And that's important. You're going to see here that sons are the thing that are important to this family. Sons are the the things that they get excited about. And so she's pumped that she can provide her husband with a son. Why? It says she named him Reuben for she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery Surely, my husband will love me now. Uh, It's just so depressing. And by the way, I want you to see that these passive aggressiveness is not just a Minnesota thing. Uh, They're naming their children things here as they get going to prove a point to other people without actually having a conversation around it. It's fantastic. So she she says, basically, I'm going to name my first son uh, C, and I hope my husband will see me now. I hope he'll see me at night when I get to go and sleep in his bed. I hope he'll see me in my sorrow. I hope he'll pay attention to the fact that I'm suffering here. I hope that my husband will see me uh, in my misery. Surely he's going to love me now. Leah wanted love. She believed that giving her husband sons was the way that she was going to receive love from her husband. She believed that if she gave him what he needed, then this transactional relationship would begin And that it would then give him what he needed and he would give her the love that she desired. And the lie here is that something is going to fulfill you, right? Her her eyes are on the thing that she wants, the thing that she thinks will fulfill her, which is the love of her husband. It's the love she hasn't received from her dad her whole life. It's the love that she hasn't received in her family the whole life. And she's thinking, if I can just get this thing that I need, then everything is going to be okay. And that's the lie that there's something out there that's going to now make everything okay. If I can just get this job, if I can just get this approval from somebody, if I can just get to this amount of money in my savings account or this retirement, or if I can just get this thing, right? A lot of times we're worshiping the things around us or this toy or this situation. If I could just get to this place, then everything's going to be great. And the lie is (laughs) that it will be great, and that's not the truth. If Jacob turns right now and starts giving her the love that she desires, it wouldn't change anything. If I can just get to this place or get this thing or find this person's love or their approval or whatever, it will be enough. And it won't be enough. He goes on. She conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. And so she named him Simeon, which means one who hears. She tried one who sees, trying to get her husband to see her, and now she's trying one who hears, getting her husband to hear her. And neither of these things has caused her to be in the relationship that she wants. And by the way, their uh, relationship is very transactional. And I want you to think about this for a second. Uh, She is giving him sons and giving him uh, physical relations and she's hoping that he returns that with love. And to be perfectly honest with you, in our culture, that's a very, very common thing. We essentially start to be sexually active before we're in a marriage covenant and before the love is established in that covenant all the time. And if you're in one of those kinds of relationships, I want you to just step back and say, if I continue to give my partner physical love, right? Physical uh, uh, to, to continue to have sex in this situation... Is this person going to return this with love? It's backwards. You have to have love as the basis of the relationship before you begin to have the sex that God created and is amazing. Right? You can have a physical relationship that doesn't equate into love, very commonly in our world. Right? And this is why God has created marriage. He created a safe place where you will always be accepted that is rooted and has a foundation of love so you know, right? That that it's safe, that this person is going to love you for the rest of your life. And now you're free to give yourself physically to the person within the bounds of this relationship. You know, we, we think that sometimes that the way God has set things up is so limiting. And in fact, it brings incredible amounts of freedom in our relationships with our spouses. And so if you're in one of those situations, step back and ask the question, is this going to lead to the place that I want to? Because this could be just a physical transactional relationship where I'm not safe and I can't get to a place that God designed. And so, so she named him Simeon and again conceived. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, now at last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi, which means attached. She's, so one who sees, one who hears, and then attached. She's basically sending messages to her husband saying like, hey, would you, could you love me? I'm, I'm off to a really solid lead here. I'm up 3-0. I'm giving you three of what you need, all right? I'm, I'm coming and laying in your bed. Can you please love me now? I'm begging you, pay attention to me. See me in my misery. Love me. Give me what I need so I can be okay. And it's not uh, working the way that she wants it to work. It goes on. When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister So essentially one of them has what the other one wants and the other one has what the other one wants. So what Leah wants more than anything else is the love of her husband and what Rachel wants more than anything else is to provide her husband with children. And both of them think, if I'm able to do this, what I want to do, then I'll be whole, I'll have what I need. And if essentially each of them have a piece but not the whole, this is the problem with polygamy. (laughs) You want to have the whole with one person, not pieces of it going out to do to two different people. So she said to Jacob, give me children or I will die, which is uh, a weird statement. Incredibly uh, strange to think. I mean, obviously what Jacob is doing is working. He's having children with Leah. It's not his fault that things aren't going the right direction. And we don't know exactly the situation. And it says that God allowed Leah to conceive and didn't allow Rachel to conceive because of the situation. So she is trying to blame Jacob for the problems and look at his response. Jacob became angry with her and said, am I in a place of God who has kept you from having children? And so they start to blame each other for the infertility that they are struggling with. And I just, to step back, infertility is a is a thing that is prevalent in each one of the three generations you know, in their grandfather, in in Jacob's father, and then in him. And in each situation, it was dealt with differently. So in in this situation, infertility is dealt with, in a second we're going to see, by kind of end-around game going around what God's plan was and trying to then have children with the maidservant, which is what Abraham did. But Isaac, it says, when they struggled with infertility, it said Isaac prayed for his wife and God opened her womb and she conceived. So going to God with the situations and the things that you're dealing with is the way that God wants us to be handling this stuff. And I I want to be sensitive because infertility is one of those deep, despairing kind of situations. It's one of the things I know personally that when we started to try to have children that I, I had more anxiety about that probably than anything in my entire life. And being a pastor, as I've walked through this situation with different people, the feeling of helplessness when you can't create the thing that you want to create, when you can't bring that child naturally into your family, it creates this uh, incredible despair in people. And it, it gives you an opportunity in a situation where you have no control to learn how to have faith in moments where you can't control the outcome of what's going to happen. And sometimes it makes perfect sense, and other times it makes no sense, and we're, felt, we're left feeling helpless but it's always a chance for us to find faith in those times no matter how difficult that they are and I want you to know it that's one of the reasons why we need community in our lives because when we're struggling with things like this we need people around us and especially people around us who have struggled with the same things that we're struggling with you know I often will see a post where someone will come out and say hey here's what happened in our relationship, we lost a baby or we've been struggling to have a baby, and then to watch people come around that person and to share that weight, that's what the church looks like. That's what should be happening in all of our small groups when we share things like this, and to walk us beside people as they struggle. And it's not something that we would want to take lightly or joke about, honestly. It's, it's, it's a terrible situation to be in. You feel helpless, but it's a chance to have faith. It's a chance to come to a God who loves you who wants the best for you. It's a chance to ask him what he's doing. It's a chance to to see another avenue or angle that maybe you didn't see in the despair when you uh, were working through that situation. And it's a chance for us when we feel most helpless to rely on the faith that we have in God and to carry it together. The worst thing that we can do anytime we're struggling like that is to carry it on our own and to be isolated from other people. And so find people that you feel safe sharing that with. I hope you're in a small group. We're going to talk again in September about starting new groups and getting some new ones off the ground. So if you're thinking, I want to get into one, it's coming in a month or two, and we'll give you an opportunity to join one. But that's the kind of things that we need to share as we share life together. And so Envy is just eating Rachel alive because her sister's getting the thing that she wants. She's getting to be the preferred wife. And they're beginning to play the... The blame game. And I want you to look at Jacob's response. Jacob became angry with her and said, am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? And I just, husbands, can I talk to you for a second? Like, don't do this. <laughs> this is not the way to handle this situation. Right? There is a, uh, a way to communicate truth in a way that is uh, emotionally aware. Right? Yes, technically he's correct. But becoming angry and then blaming her and then blaming God is probably not what I would recommend for you to do as a husband. I would probably... There are times in my relationship with Marty where I will just look at her and say, I'm not supposed to be solving this problem right now, right? I'm just supposed to be listening to it. She's like, yes, that's exactly what I need from you. I need you to just listen while I verbally process this, and then later we can talk about solutions, stop trying to fix things, right? Right? Stop being frustrated. Stop trying to explain away, I'm feeling despair. Can you just be with me for a minute while I'm feeling despair? Can I just know that you're in it with me? Right? Husbands, let's just pay attention emotionally sometimes. It's not, this is not the way that we would respond if we were doing it in love. So verse 6, he says, Then she said, Here is Bilhah, my servant. Sleep with her so that she can bear children for me. And I, too, can build a family through her. So, hey, my sister's up 3-0, and it's not working out for us right now. So, hey, here's a maidservant. Let's get some stuff going on my side so we can start evening up these numbers, right? Um, So she gave him her servant Bilhah as as a wife. Jacob slept with her. By the way, Jacob didn't have to do that. Jacob, you don't have to do that. Now, I think most of us, most men would probably, especially in a patriarchal society where you look at everything as your property and everything seems to be serving you, Or it's just going to enjoy the fruits of that labor, that's a bad idea. Anytime you invite anyone else into your marriage bed, it is a bad idea. This goes for pornography. This goes for uh, any other person that would come into your relationship with your spouse. Uh, It it goes for having um, affairs, right? Anytime you invite someone else into. And they're already dealing with a complex situation enough where the two sisters are are already two separate families and already fighting over the husband. And now to bring someone else into it just further complicates it. Don't bring anyone else into your marriage. Um, And she became pregnant. She bore him a son. Then Rachel said, God has vindicated me. He has listened to my plea and given me a son. And because of this, she named him Dan, which means vindication, which essentially is saying, I won against Leah. Leah. It says, Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. And then Rachel said, I have had a great struggle with my sister, and I have won. And so she named him Naphtali. And when Leah saw that she had stopped having children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. So right, and so now you've got Leah getting in the game saying, okay, well, maybe now I'm not really having any kids. Let me give him another maidservant. So now we're up to four people that Jacob is sleeping with and having children with um, and gave her to Jacob as a wife. And Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. And then Leah said, what good fortune. So she named him Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. And then Leah said, how happy am I? All women call me happy. And so she named him Asher. So essentially Leah says, um, uh, my two kids here, one is uh, essentially what good fortune I have. And the second one is how happy am I? And I don't think I fooled anybody. I like think everyone knew Leah wasn't happy. I, think, I don't think anyone was happy. I don't think anyone was lucky. Nobody was feeling like these things. and They're naming these children to get back at their other... I mean, this is getting so toxic, and you can kind of feel where this is going, and it's all based on envy. It's all based on seeing something in someone else and feeling like you need that thing to be okay. It's like envy is one of those things where, you know, we... It's almost okay in our society. We have marketers who are trying to make us envious of other people so that we'll buy products that make us okay. And we have politicians who are trying to make us envy of each other so that we'll have disunity so that they'll be able to pick off groups of people and get them to vote for them. And We've got situations like if you're a teenager, you're essentially going walking through a war zone of envy every single day you step into a high school. Everybody else has everything that I want, and they all look the way I want, and they all act the way I want, this is a world that we live in, and it's actually not necessarily such a, a, a thing that's looked down on in our society, but it's a, it's a situation where we're dealing with envy all the time, and it's very normal. It's something that rots us from our bones, right? So it says, during wheat harvest, Reuben went out into the fields, and he found some mandrake plants. And essentially, these are plants that, they're kind of like a weed, and they were seen in those days as uh, like an aphrodisiac, or some sort of a a sexual enhancement, kind of a root kind of thing. And so Reuben went out in the fields, and he found some mandrake plants, which he brought to his mother, Leah. Okay, weird flex, bro, but whatever. (laughs) Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. Okay, that sentence just sounds dirty. I don't know what's... I want your son's mandrakes. I don't know what's happening. Uh, But she said to her, Wasn't it enough that you took away my husband? Will you now take away my son's mandrakes, too? I, I'm lost. I don't, these apparently are very important. I'm not really sure. Very well, Rachel said. He can sleep with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. So when Jacob came in from the field that evening, Leah went out to meet him. You must sleep with me, she said. I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. <laughs> Look, I think we've established in this family that anytime you trade food for something, it's not a good idea. And by the way, um, they're both getting a little tired of Jacob, to be honest with you, if she's willing to give him up that easy. Like, oh yeah, okay, fine, you can have him. Honestly, I could use a night off. Like, I don't really want to deal with him tonight, so we'll send him over your way. Um, it's, it's really getting toxic. It's really a situation where, like, uh, neither of them seem to be getting what they want, and they're playing this game, and it's just getting ridiculous. And these mandrakes aren't that important, but it just shows you how Messed up envy is making things. And that last verse there, so he slept with her that night. You got Jacob coming in from the fields, and Leah goes out to meet him, and she's like, you're coming to my house tonight. I bought you. She essentially pimped out her husband with weeds. (laughs) Or Rachel did, yeah. And he doesn't even put up a fight. He doesn't even say anything. He's like, no, enough of this. He doesn't do anything. He's like, cool. Cool. He essentially has turned himself into a purely physical person in that relationship where essentially I'm just out creating these sons. He's become a stud. And I don't mean like in a good way. I mean like a horse that is a stud that creates other thoroughbreds. He has basically turned himself into someone who creates children between these warring women in his life. This is not a healthy situation. It's getting so toxic. And the envy is eating everyone up and he's given up. You know, at some point, you would love to see Jacob become the hero of the story. And you'd love to see him stand up and say, here's what a family should look like. And you'd love to have him call together a family meeting and say, none more of this nonsense. Here's the way we're going to live, and here's how we're going to do things. And to lead his family in a direction that goes where God wants them to go. And to say, we can do this together, we're going to make this work. It's not an ideal situation, but here's how this is going to work from here on out. We're going to make this thing happen. And he just passively sits there and allows this entire thing to eat him alive. And no one's happy. Everybody's envious. They're doing ridiculous things. And I think sometimes we get to a situation where we're willing to, uh, or we find ourselves in a situation where it's like we would never have seen ourselves in this place but somewhere along the way we should have stopped there and we should have stopped there and we should have stopped there and we did nothing. If we allow ourselves to passively float through life and to not actively do what God has called us to do, we find ourselves in places we never thought we would go and we never wanted to be. If we're not intentional about our relationship with God and if we're not intentional about living out the way that God has called us to live out, then things get more and more toxic in our lives. You have a choice every single week to turn and repent and get rid of sin in your life and go in the other direction and not allow ridiculous things like this to to enter into your life and to say, this is the week or the time or the day that I'm going to now turn and go in the direction that God has called me to. And it feels like all hope is lost, but God is this incredible God who will meet you in that place and walk you to the future that you need to be walking into, the one that brings you the fullest possible life, the one that brings you the the life that's full of security and love and acceptance and health and wholeness. We have a chance to turn and go in the direction that God wants us to go and Jacob's not choosing it and Rachel's not choosing it and Leah's not choosing it and none of them seem to be caring about how they should be living. We see that this has incredible effects on their children, by the way, later on. This creates a really toxic environment where they start to do ridiculous things to each other. Verse 17, God listened to Leah, and she became pregnant and bore Jacob a fifth son. And then Leah said, God has rewarded me for giving my servant to my husband, so she named him Issachar. Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has presented me With a precious gift, this time my husband will treat me with honor because I have borne him six sons. So one wasn't enough, and two, and three, and four, and five. But by the time I get to six, now maybe he'll love me. So she named him Zebulun. Sometime later, she gave birth to a daughter and named her Dina. And nothing. Right? By the way, take a look at this. The first time we see a daughter enter into the picture, it's just a footnote. No one cares. We're not talking about what her name is. There's no celebrating. It's just like, oh yeah, we have a daughter. Okay, let's move on to have another son. That's how toxic things are getting. And that is a problem in a patriarchal society. Then God remembered Rachel. And he listened to her and enabled her to conceive. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And said, God has taken away my disgrace. And so she named him Joseph and said, May the Lord add to me another son. And so finally Rachel gets what she's been wanting the whole time. A son for her very own, out of her relationship with her husband. And what is the first thing she says? God, give me another one. If you get what you think you want, what you end up at the end of that finding is that you want more. There never is enough. There never is a place where you feel good and you feel like everything is okay and you feel like everything is now good. The only place that we find what we're looking for is in relationship with God. God. Right? So she's like, finally I got what I wanted and the first thing out of her mouth is give me another. I think we find ourselves when we're envious just in this desire to have more and more and more and more and more. And so there's no hero here. I mean, <laughs> Jacob is not the hero, not yet. Not really at all. Leah's not the hero, Rachel's not the hero. The only person in this story who seems to be blessing and paying attention and walking alongside these ridiculous people is God. In a weird way, that's good because we're ridiculous and we have sin in our lives. And there are things going on in our family that if we share with other people that we'd be ashamed to share. There are things that we don't want to like let other people into and yet God is faithful to them. And somewhere in the mix here, Leah turns a corner and I just want to p- put this out there because here's the only Shred of hope in this whole story. I want to go back for a second. I actually left out a verse, and I'm not sure if you noticed it. Uh, I'm going to go back to Genesis 29:31. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant, gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben. It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord has heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one, so she named him Simeon. Again, she conceived And when she gave birth to a son, she said, now at last my husband will become attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. And so he was named Levi. In verse 35, this is the one I left out. She conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time, right, See, this time, not the same as what has already happened. This time is going to be different. This time, I will praise the Lord. This time, I'm going to see the blessing that's coming into my life as something that's coming from God and I'm not going to see this as a way to win my husband's approval. I'm actually just going to praise God for this blessing. So she named him Judah, and then she stopped having children. She gave up the struggle to try to win the approval of her husband because finally she realized that these blessings were coming from God, and she praised him instead of trying to leverage these children as a way to win her husband's heart. And what's amazing about this story is that Judah is the line which Jesus comes through. Judah is the line in which God extends the covenant that he made with Abraham and the covenant that he made with Isaac and the covenant that is extended to Jacob. He extends that covenant through Judah on its way to David before it gets to Jesus. That when he said to Abraham, I'm going to bless the entire world through you, what he was saying in that statement was, one day I'm going to bless the entire world through a wife who feels unloved and has been forgotten about her entire life, and she's going to praise me for it. Every time we read the Old Testament, it's not really about these stories. None of us are reading the history of the Mesopotamians. We don't care. What we care about is the history of the Jews. And the reason we care about the history of the Jews is because Jesus was Jewish. This whole story is about Jesus. It's about him being extended through this line of really imperfect people. You know, when people tell me they say, the, the Bible, I, I just can't believe it. I just can't believe the Bible because, you know, I look at stories like this and I go, if anyone was making this up, there's no way they're telling this story. <laughs> there's no person out there like, hey, yo, know, let's, let's get our history on paper. Hey, you know what? Why don't you leave that part out? Just, you know, Leah was really happy and she had Judah. Let's just move the line, let's just keep things going. It's not like that. In the New Testament, we see Paul like talking to friends. Hey guys, next time I see you, will you bring my cloak. You see John and uh, you see John and Peter having like this rivalry. Like on the day that they ran to the tomb, upon entering the tomb first, John saw that Jesus wasn't there. Why did that and make it in there? Because John wanted to you know he's faster in a foot race than Peter, <laughs> right? All these details and all this imperfection in these people's lives shows us this is true. Because nobody would write this stuff. Nobody would make this up. And all of this, all of it, all the details of the Old Testament, all the details that are in the New Testament, the whole book is pointing towards Jesus. And Judah has this incredible arc. If you want to go and read this week uh, ahead and read Judah's story, what you'll find is that Judah was one of the worst sons in the beginning. And by the end of his life, found himself laying his life down to save one of his brothers found himself in a completely turned 180 degree direction and willing to live selflessly for other people. And this is now who Jesus comes through, the Lion of Judah. And so Leah figures out, I'm not going to be okay if I can win my husband's heart. I'm going to be okay if I can praise God and find my worth and value in my relationship with him. Let me pray. I think we're going to close right here. God, thank you. First and foremost, that you sent Jesus through these very imperfect people. God, would you help us to see the generational sins of our own family, to not find ourselves in a place of envy of others Uh, to not find ourselves in a place of wanting more all the time and feeling like the next thing's going to uh, get us to a place where we're good, but to realize that the only place we'll find fulfillment and purpose is in a relationship with you. I thank you that the entire Bible, it points to you. It tells your story. God, I thank you for sending Jesus to show us who you are. I thank you for the sacrifice that he made for us so that we could Uh, find a way out of the sin, find the freedom that we need and the relationship with God that we desire. God, I pray that you would help us to find ourselves working towards a place of wholeness, to find ourselves turning away from sin, to find ourselves changing today and this week some of the things that we know we have needed to deal with and have been not looking at, not paying attention to, not dealing with, God. Help us not to find passive-aggressive ways to deal with the issues we're having in relationships with our family or in the generational sin that we are, are seeing happen, God, but to then confront it, to have open and honest conversations about it, God, and then to, to pray and to uh, find ways to move beyond some of these things that hold us back. God, we want to be healthy and whole so that we can speak to the world about who you are and share your gospel with other people who are struggling. Thank you that you meet us in our sin. You meet us in our our imperfection and you call us to something much greater. In Jesus' name, amen.